So we're still in the book of Acts, and if uh, you were with us a couple weeks ago, you know we, we began in Acts 19, verses 1 through 8, Paul passing through the upper reaches of Ephesus. He ran into certain disciples. He said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? They said, we've not even heard if there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, what baptisms are you baptized in? They said, John the Baptist. And then he baptized in the name of Jesus, and then he laid hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues and prophesy. That's the beginning of the ministry of Paul in Ephesus, here in 19th chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, what happens next is because that region of Ephesus was very superstitious, they were involved in a lot of spiritism and demonic activity, matter of fact. Uh, that outpouring of the Holy Spirit stirred up uh, satanic opposition. And we're going to see it in the text that we're going to be picking up where we left off. Now, last week, we talked about unusual miracles. That if you want God to do the unusual in your life, you got to stop doing business as usual if we want to see the God that does unusual miracles in our midst. Remember, Paul, his handkerchief and apron would be taken from him, and once it touched his skin, it would go and touch others who were sick and they would be healed, or touch others who were demon-possessed and they would be delivered. So this is an unusual chapter here in Acts 19. And we have an, an amazing story, a very unusual story that we're going to be studying today. But I want to begin with an old Irish proverb. It's from this proverb that I have named the message today. Better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. That's as good as Irish I can get as a half Italian, half Hispanic. But anyway, any Irish descent, uh, people from, uh, with Irish descent? Okay, congratulations. Great, great heritage. Uh, Gia Gawich. That's Gaelic. For those of you that are truly Irish, you know that. And you know what I just said, God be with you. Okay, that's as far as I will go in the Gaelic language. Uh, so, the title of the message, Better the Devil You Know. We're going to be reading from Acts 19, beginning verse 13. So out of love, respect, and a worshipful attitude, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Let's pray. God, I thank you that today we humbly come to you and we say, Lord, give us ears to hear and heart to receive the engrafted word. Allow us to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying through the verses of the scripture we will be studying. Lord, I know you have to speak through my voice, but may they not hear my voice, but the voice of Christ through my voice today. Thank you for everyone that's online. Thank you for everyone that is in person here in the sanctuary, Trinity Central, or the chapel. Just extend your mercy, love, and grace to each person now and to our great country. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is absolutely positively one of the most wildest stories in the Bible. Matter of fact, the first time I preached, I was uh, 19 and a half years old. It was about 38 years ago. The very, officially, the very first sermon I ever preached was at Charlotte Park. Foursquare Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It was a Sunday night. It was a youth night. I was a part of the youth ministry. I was one of the volunteer youth leaders. And uh, the senior pastor made a huge mistake and asked me to preach. 
Uh, he was coerced by the, the youth pastor who really believed in me. And thank God, Jim Million. If you're out there, Jim, thank you. He's still alive, still in the ministry, motivational speaker. He believed in me. He took me under his wing. He talked the senior pastor and let me preach. And uh, it, wasn't, it didn't go very well. I promise you I'm a much better preacher now than I was <laughs> 38 plus, uh, plus years ago. But it was from this text. I, I so love this story. It was from this text that I, I preached my first message. So here's amazing. There are these Jewish traveling uh, exorcists, right? And they took it upon themselves. They said, hey, this, this name of Jesus is pretty powerful. Look at what happens when Paul uses it. Demons come out of people. Let's try that. Dumb, right? With a capital D. So uh, they go up to this evil spirit, and, they, and it says, the Bible says, they took it upon themselves. You know, hey, in the name of Jesus, Lord Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we adjure you, come out of the man. And the Holy, the evil, Holy Spirit, the evil spirit. Holy Spirit speaks, and evil spirits speak. But in this incident, an evil, the evil spirit spoke through this man and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? So the first thought is these Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves. What does that mean when you take something upon yourself? It means you're assuming something. You're assuming something that you really have no authorization to assume. And I was thinking about some, in the word assumption means to accept something as true and certain without proof. And there was no proof that they were genuine followers of Christ and had the right to use the name of Jesus. So they took it upon themselves, they assumed. I was thinking about some dubious assumptions in history. Dionysius Ladner, in uh, around the 1850s, he was a professor of natural history and ast astronomy at the London University, and dubious assumption. He warned that railway trains traveling at that speed would asphyxiate their passengers for lack of air and they would die. Well, he, he got that wrong. Uh, dubious assumptions in history. Dr. Albert Einstein in 1932, he said this, and I'm quoting, there's not the slightest indication that nuclear energy will ever be obtainable. Well, it was, and we did. Ken Olson, who was the CEO of Digital Equipment Corporation, he said in 1977, there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. Boy, did he get that wrong. And then Bill Gates stated, in 1981, a 640K PC ought to be enough for anybody. Dubious assumptions in history. How about some dangerous assumptions? People in the Bible that took it upon themselves, assumed something that wasn't rightfully theirs, or they were not authorized to use it. Here are some dangerous assumptions in the Bible. Abraham, in Genesis 20, he took it upon himself to lie to King Abimelech concerning his wife Sarah, that she was simply his sister. The king took Sarah into his harem and was about to have sex with her, which would have violated the holy seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, eventually Messiah. It would have ruined everything. So God supernaturally had to intervene because Abraham lied to the king and God had to intervene in order to spare Sarah and the promised seed that would come through Sarah. And the learning from that is God can be trusted when truth is required. Nadab and Abihu, talking about dangerous assumptions. In the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 10, chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu took it upon themselves to offer up strange fire to the Lord. 
They did it in an unlawful way. They were, they were sons of the high priest Aaron. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. King Saul, in 1 Samuel 13, he took it upon himself to offer up a sacrifice because Samuel, the prophet priest, had delayed. And Saul, as king, not a prophet, not a priest, only a king, he took it upon himself to do what only the priests were allowed to do, to offer up a sacrifice. That day, the kingdom was rent from him. It took many years before it actually, he was actually removed from being king. But at that moment, the kingdom was taken from Saul because he took it upon himself. Dangerous assumptions. Korah, in number 16, there's a guy named Korah. He took it upon himself to exalt his leadership above the delegated authority that God placed upon Moses. He used, tried to usurp the authority of Moses. As a result of Korah taking this upon himself, assuming something that was not right and was not his, the earth opened up, swallowed Korah, his family, and all the followers of Korah. A couple of more. King David, he took it upon himself to call for a census of the people, to count the people of God. He was not authorized or instructed by the Lord to do so, and because he, he did it, he sinned against God, and a plague broke out and thousands of Israelites lost their lives. We're talking about dangerous assumptions. And then the last example is Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts chapter 5. They took it upon themselves to hold back some of the money from the land that they had sold in which they had already pledged the totality of that money to the church. They held back some of that, and when Peter confronted them, they took it upon themselves to lie to the Holy Spirit and they drop dead right there in church. Never lie about your giving to the Lord. And all the people said, Amen. So dubious assumptions in history, dangerous assumptions in the Bible, and how about some damaging assumptions today? Can we take a few moments and can we talk about some damaging assumptions today? Do I have your undivided attention? I hope and I pray that I do. I want to give you three damaging assumptions today. Things people may or may not believe that are not true and do not have proof, but they believe them to be true. Assumption number one, racism doesn't exist. Oh, my friend, but it does. And for the sake of argument, let's compare racism to rape. Both racism and rape is evil and in America is illegal. We can't stop all rape. But we can bring swift justice to victims of rape and make sure that there are no laws that protect the rapists. Apply that to racism. That's why we must double our efforts to ensure there are no laws that protect outright racism. And as far as we know, in the land of America right now, there are not. Assumption number two that is very damaging in our country today. Because America denied equality for all, in the past, that's, that somehow causes America today to be guilty of denying equality for all. Nothing could be further from the truth. You see, my friend, America has owned its crime against humanity. America has owned its crime against the legalization of slavery. We fought a war. It's called the Civil War. 655,000 fellow Americans fought, bled, and died 
to make sure that everyone was free in the United States of America. We fought a war to correct that crime, that sin against humanity. Was that the end of slavery? Yes. Was that the end of discrimination? No. The struggle continued until Brown versus the Board of Education and the Civil Rights Movement. One happened in 1954. The other one happened in 1964. Laws were established that made it absolutely, positively illegal to discriminate against any fellow American based on the color of their skin, based on race. It officially ended, slavery officially ended at the end of the Civil War. Discrimination legally ended in the United States of America in those two landmark cases. But has it stopped all racism? No. But listen, my friend, that same flag over there, the flag of the United States of America, our symbol of justice and freedom, that same flag that allowed slavery and defended slavery is the same flag that defeated slavery, is the same flag that defeated legalized discrimination against a fellow American based on the color of their skin. And that is why that's the only symbol that unites us as the United States of America, one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. And we are a divided nation right now because there are forces out there that want you to believe something that is not true. But Pastor Carl, there are racist people. Yes, there are bad, evil people everywhere. And here's the third and, 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 and da- the third damaging assumption today. That one bad cop means all police officers are bad. And nothing could be further from the truth. 99.9% of law enforcement personnel are committed to protect and serve. We got to find the bad ones and we got to get them out. And if they commit a crime, even though they're wearing a uniform with a badge, they are not above the law and they will be held accountable. But since these riots broke out, 800 Men and women in uniform have been hurt, some have been killed, and it has to stop. The police are here to protect us, but my question is, who's there to protect the police? We need to make sure that we are standing with our law enforcement personnel, or else we may lose this nation. We are on the edge of the cliff, my friend. It's diabolical what's happening in our country right now. There are forces that want to destroy every vestige of Christianity. And am I 100% happy with my nation? No, I pray for America. We have our sins today. We have our problems today. I'm all about the sanctity of life and the sacredness of marriage and religious freedom. And that's what we as a church have committed ourselves to, that we will forever be, God by God's grace, a crossroad where biblical truth and cultural, social, moral issues collide. And we will speak the truth of God's Word to these issues. America has come a long way, and America has a long way to go. But for some reason, God has called you and I and placed us at this time in His 
kingdom for such a time as this. And our ultimate allegiance, listen to me, our ultimate allegiance is not to the flag of the United States of America as much as I personally respect it. Our ultimate allegiance is to the cross of Jesus Christ. That is our symbol of ultimate eternal freedom for all the world, all men, and all women. And as we have lost sight of that, that's why we're facing the problems that we're facing. I'm telling you, the Democrats absolutely, positively do not have the answer or the solution for what we're facing. The Republicans, it, this seems that there's a lot more Christian, God-fearing people who happen to be Republicans. Why? I don't know. But they do not have the answer. I'll tell you who has the answer. It's the body of Christ. It's the Christian. It's the church. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the, it's the proclaiming of God's love and grace. Is that too honest for you? Okay. Is, is that not... Is that Okay, because some of you didn't say anything. Okay, all right. Dubious assumptions in history. Dangerous assumptions in the Bible and damaging assumptions today. It's ripping our country apart. How many know we can love everyone and not agree with everyone? Right? How many know we can agree to disagree without being disagreeable? How many know we can come together and have forums and we can, we can uh, have a round table and we can share and we can talk and we don't have to fight and hate and attack one another? You know, St. Augustine said, in the essentials, you have to have unity. In the non-essentials, you have to have liberty. But in all things, you have to have charity. So whenever we face controversial, difficult times, we need to make sure as Christians we're unified. That's why if you didn't hear my message on grace relations, I gave a biblical, theological response to racism. And I, I encouraged us to deal with the roots of racism. Not the trunk, not the branches, not the leaves and not the fruit. Everyone wants to obsess over the leaves and the fruit. You're not going to solve a problem until you identify the source of that problem. Every doctor, every medical personnel in our services this weekend, you know you do not treat the symptom. The symptom helps you identify the cause. And if you treat the cause, then you'll correct the symptom. We have to address the cause and the root of racism is the dark hearts, the evil hearts in people. And only God can change a heart. And He's still in the heart-changing business if we'll come and kneel before the cross of Jesus Christ. He'll make you into a brand new man or a brand new woman. We must never forget love. Because love conquers all, and love never fails. The seven sons of Sceva, they had faith without force, my friend. They had precepts without power. They had theory without theology. They had ideas without identity. They had imitation without impartation. They had spiritedness without the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. They were imposters. They were posers. They were pretenders of the highest order. And it backfired on them. The devil you better know. In Acts 19.15, it says, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? You know, the one thing you need to know about the devil is he is real. He exists. Evil spirits and demons are in this world. Where'd they come from, Pastor Carl? Well, the Bible very clearly tells us, Jesus said in Matthew 25.41, 
concerning the devil. He said, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So Satan was a high-ranking angel. He rebelled against God. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, And I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When Satan was cast out of heaven because of his rebellion, Revelation 12 tells us one-third of the stars fell with him, which that's a, a term representing angels. One-third of the angels of heaven fell with Lucifer. So all of the demons and evil spirits and devils, they're all the same thing. Devils, there's one devil, but one Satan, many devils, but Satan is also referred to as the devil, and then there are devils, which are evil spirits, which are simply fallen angels. And so we're in a spiritual warfare. We're in a spiritual battle, and we have to recognize that. Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against evil spirits. And the Bible is very, very clear that there are evil spirits that, that, over, that hang over and have rulership over parts of the world, nations of the world. We have to understand who our enemy is. Our enemy is not the person that might look differently and think differently from us. Our enemy is not the person that might be living across the street from us. Our enemy is not the person necessarily that lives in, in, a, in a foreign land or a foreign country. Unless someone chooses to try to harm you or harm your loved ones, and then you have a, a, a rightful place in God's, the teaching of God's Word to defend yourself. But we're to, we're to love. Even our enemies is, is the gospel message. But the enemy is real. So what does the devil know? Here's what the devil knows. First of all, the devil knows that God is real. Unlike many Americans today, the devil has no doubt concerning the existence of God. Look at James chapter 2 and verse 19. Here's what James says. You say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. You believe in God. Good. Demons believe in God, and they tremble. What how does your belief in God, how does it translate in your life? Does it manifest in a fear of God? Does it manifest in a changed life? Does it manifest in wanting to obey, love, and serve Him? Now, demons have faith that's not saving faith. You and I can have faith, and it can be saving faith. But the enemy, Satan knows. <laughs> Jesus, I know. Because, you see, 2,000 years ago at the cross, Jesus defeated Satan. There was a prophecy in the book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the first messianic prophecy in the Bible, and God spoke there at the fall of man to the serpent and said, there's a seed coming from the woman. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And at the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus, his heel was bruised, but at the cross, Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. He defeated the devil for us, and now greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. What does the devil know? He knows his time is short. Look at Revelation 12, 12. It says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you on earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. You see what's happening in our world. You see what's happening in our nation right now. It's because the devil has come and he's attacking with great vengeance because he knows his time is short, very short. What does Satan know? My friend, he knows the Bible. In Luke chapter 4, verses 9, 10, and 11, 
Then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. And he quotes now, the devil himself quotes from Psalm 91, for the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You know, the, the devil knows the Bible better than most, all of us, right? He knows it. And how many know, just because you know the Bible and quote the Bible doesn't mean you know the author of the Bible. You know, there are people that study the Bible and know the Bible like the back of their hand, and yet they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior? I mean, go figure. Even Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 5 and verse 39, He said this, You diligently study or pour over the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about Me. How could the religious leaders of, of Christ's day study the Torah, the Old Testament, and there are so many types and shadows, there are so many references that pointed to Messiah, and then Messiah appears in bodily form, and they completely miss it. Just because somebody believes the Bible, quotes the Bible, doesn't mean they know the author of the Bible. I hope not only do you know the Bible and study the Bible, but you love the Savior that this book talks about. Come on, somebody. Woo! I believe the, the, the inherent Word of God, the entirety of God's Word from cover to cover, but I don't worship the Bible. I worship the God of the Bible. I worship the Savior in the Bible, and I follow the Holy Spirit that wrote this book through holy men of old. What does the devil know? He knows the power of prayer. You know, there was a time in the Old Testament where Daniel, this mighty prophet, was living in Babylon, and they made it illegal to pray. Remember that story? They made it illegal to pray. And, uh, you know, some states have made it illegal to go to church. Next thing they're going to probably do is they're going to make it illegal for you to pray. You know what Daniel did when he found out they made passed the law it was illegal to pray? You know what he did? He went home, opened up his window, and prayed anyway. You know what they did? They threw him in the lion's den. But you know what God did? He shut the mouth of the lions, right? Because he, God will stand, you'll stand with God, God will stand with you, amen. But Daniel one time was praying in Daniel chapter 10, and it says in verses 12, 11, and 13, then he said, an angel from heaven, don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you begin to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, and your request has been heard in heaven. Day one, his request was heard. I've come to answer, as an answer to your prayer, Gabriel, that is, is what's to speaking, but for 21 days, the, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia, this is an evil spirit, blocked my way. Then Michael, another archangel, Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. We don't understand. When you begin to pray, there is spiritual warfare going on in the heavenlies, and that's why the enemy works overtime to keep you and I prayerless. I think one of the greatest sins in the body of Christ today is the sin of prayerlessness. If there's ever been a time when we need to bend our knee and bow our hearts to, and humble ourselves before God, is right here, right now. We need to pray like never before, church. What does the devil know? Well, finally, he knows if your faith is real or not. You know, I don't know if your faith is real or not. I hope so. You don't know if my faith is real or not. 
God forbid you get to heaven, like, where's Pastor Carl? He didn't make it. <laughs> I hope some of you love me enough to try to break into hell and get me out. Amen. And when I get there, I better see you. That's all I know. I preach my guts out sometimes. I put it all on the line. I want to make sure every one of us are, are in that place called heaven. Amen. It's easy to fake. It's easy to be a poser. It's easy to be an imposter. It's easy to talk the talk but not walk the walk. Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. I, I believe you and I are bearing fruits that reveal that we truly are followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're not, you can become one. Why you would pretend to be a Christian as opposed to actually becoming a Christian, I don't understand that one. But these guys weren't Christians. And the evil spirit spoke and said, you have no right, no authorization to use that glorious holy name of Jesus. Because there's power in that name. Only when it is spoken through the heart of a true believer. You know, that's the name that's above every name. Paul said in the book of Philippians chapter 2, the, the most glorious name in all the universe is the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Confucius. They won't bow and confess America as Lord or the Democrats as Lord or the Republicans as Lord. Every knee one day will bow, whether they like it or not, and say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I believe that's why it just, it, it just angers me. So many TV programs and movies today, they take the name of Jesus in vain. You know, but I guess the flip side of that is even the wrath of man shall praise him, the book of Psalms says. But you know, they, they never say Buddha's name in vain or Muhammad's name in vain. Why do they always say Jesus and use that holy name? Because deep down, every human being knows that's the name that everyone fears. That's the name that every demon in hell fears. And that name on the lips of a Christian Wow, has tremendous power. I was speaking one time to a Satanist. I, I was a pastor in Albuquerque, and I was on the phone. The Satanist called, and we were debating. He said, you know, why should I follow God? And I said, because uh, we win in the end. That's why, you know, <laughs> heaven's real, hell's real, buddy. That's where you're going right now. I mean, we're just being honest on this conversation. He says, I have more power than you have. I said, no, you don't. I said, you know, maybe you do, but, but, but Satan doesn't. Satan has, doesn't have more power than God. He said, can you prove it to me? And we're talking, I never read this anywhere, never heard anybody ever say this. It just came to me in the moment. It was like a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. He said, can you prove that, you're, that God is greater than Satan? I said, I can. He said, how? I said, right now, I could cast the devil out of you in the name of Jesus, but you can't cast Jesus out of me in the name of Satan. <laughs> That's power, friend. That's power. He knows, Satan knows, the devil knows, evil spirits know if your faith is real or not. In verse 15, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know. Yeah, we had a battle with him in the wilderness, and I lost. And I had another battle with him at the cross, and I thought I won until the third day, and the stone was rolled away, and he rose victoriously from the dead. 
stealing from me the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Jesus, I know. And he fears the day when you'll have to tangle with him again at the second coming when Jesus comes back upon that white stallion, riding upon that horse with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, written on his thighs, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And it's there at the Battle of Armageddon that Jesus will finally defeat the enemy and all the enemies of God once and for all. I'll tell you what, we're on the winning team, church, and we've got a bright, bright future. Turn to the person next to you and say, you've got a bright, bright future. Come on, tell You've got a hope that won't stop. A hope that is eternal. Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. You see, evil spirits, they know. They know if you're the genuine article or not. Everybody around you may not know. I'll tell you what, God knows and the devil knows. And you know. And I hope you know that you know what the devil already knows. That you know God because you know that God knows. (laughs) Say, I know. Say, I know him in whom I believed. And he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. That's what Paul said in prison just before they took his head off. He knew that he knew that he knew in whom he believed, and he knew the God that believed in him. Oh, come on, let's just give God praise. Can we do that right now? We're in too deep of a crisis right now, church, to simply play at church. We've got to know our Bible, we've got to know our Savior. We've got to pray like we've never prayed. We've got to share our love like we've never shared our love. We need to speak that truth in love, but we, we need to take a stand for Christ and we need, to, we need to share our faith. We need to be the light in the darkness. We need to be the salt that retards the corruption. And we need to begin to speak the name of Jesus. In that name, there's power to save. In that name, there's power to heal. In that name, there's power to cast demons out of people. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just say the name Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, come now. Heal, bless, deliver. Pour out your grace over my life over my family, over my nation, over the nations of the world. We bind the devil. We take authority over him. We exercise authority over him now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by his shed blood on Calvary, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Act now, God for they have forgotten your law. Heal our land in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Can we do that? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we humbly come before you today. I just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you are reaching out to men and women in person, live, watching, If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today's the day of salvation. If you need to rededicate or recommit your life to Christ, 
the Lord is here with open arms, ready and eager and willing to receive you into His eternal kingdom or to receive you back into the fold, back into the family. But you must repent. You must confess your sins and He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And if you're not saved, if you'll if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the promise of Scripture. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and this congregation is going to pray this prayer out loud with you. If you'd like to commit or rededicate your life to Christ, I want you to pray this prayer. Say it with your own mouth, mean it from your own heart. Here we go. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, Come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive His love, His grace, and His forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, You're now my Father, and I am Your child. Fill me now with Your Holy Spirit and give me strength to live for You and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's thank the Lord together. Can we do that?